Our speaker this morning, of course, is Brother Bill Jenkins, who most of you know by now. And uh, i got to tell you, I feel kind of spoiled lately. It's, uh, it's a privilege for me to be preached at, enjoy being fed by the Word of God, but also to spend time uh, with a dear friend and older minister. I always cherish that time when the Lord gives it to me. And, uh, so, in fact, we get to sneak out and go fly fishing this week, even. Uh-huh. Of course, we'll be discussing uh, God and the Bible and ministry probably the entire time. Uh, but that's good. It's a great backdrop. Building a dam. We're going to build a couple dams. That's right. Lord you Lord. got the permits and all that, I'm sure. Something like that. <laughs> so, hey, well, uh, half move rocks and half fall in the river. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so you come, brother. It's so good to have you. Thanks, Pastor. It's a delight to be here. I was thanking the Lord this week in preparation for being here with you, dear people. And I thank the Lord, Pastor, for... Dan Jeffries. It was Dan Jeffrey that initially invited me to go to Alaska, and I went for the graduation of a Continental Baptist Missions church, and that was one of my first duties as the president of Continental Baptist Missions, to go in May of 06. And then that led to some special meetings in the church where you folks were. And that led to us getting to know each other and getting out a little bit, and so it's good. We rejoice. If you would turn in your copy of the scriptures, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. As you are turning, let me reflect a bit on the Bible. The greatest books of all, the greatest book of all books. It's not the book of the year, it's the book of the ages. It's a book of all books. When you think about it, the Bible has outlived any other book. It is outlifted, that is, in lifting us toward God and knowing God. It's outsold. The Bible has outlooked, it's outloved, it's outreached, it's outranked any other book. It's the blessing of all books. Only ignorance scoffs at the Bible. And yet people do scoff at the Bible. Even some people who would put themselves under the umbrella of Christianity. I'm using the term in a very general way. Uh, I went to college and I heard the professor say, watch out for those who would say, the Bible contains the Word of God. I was 25 years old when I went to Bible college. I was a fairly new believer. And I remember raising my hand and I said, I think you're being nitpicky. When someone says they believe the Bible contains the Word of God, they mean the same thing that I say when I say the Bible is the Word of God. He was right and I was wrong. To say the Bible contains the Word of God is what a liberal person does. Now hold it right there. What kind of terms am I using? Dear people, if I would use the word, when I use the word liberal, when your pastor would use the word liberal, we're talking about Someone who do deny the basic truths of historical Christianity. We're not talking about someone who doesn't part their hair exactly the way we do, or that they dress differently. We're not talking about any of that stuff. Sometimes that gets muddied and that becomes the issue. That should never be the issue. When I refer to a liberal person, I'm talking about someone who denies the word of God, denies the virgin birth of Christ, denies the blood atonement, Denies the inspiration of Scripture, ultimately, of course. Denies the soon return of Jesus Christ. Denies the death, burial, and resurrection. And unfortunately, sometimes those people are under the umbrella, in a very general sense, under the umbrella of Christianity. That's different than authentic 
Christianity. And we have a Bible. It's the word of God. I was doing some musing, just thinking. Genesis chapter 5 is the story of a man who lived to be 969 years old. Do you really believe that? I do. Do I really believe some of the stuff I'm going to be sharing with you? I do. If God can take a hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, that's me, and make him equipped for heaven, which he's done, then God can do anything. The Bible is a story in Genesis chapter 38 of a baby born with a scarlet thread around his wrist. Numbers 22. A man who was talked to by a donkey. Sometimes preachers will joke and say, if God could use a donkey, he could even use me. Deuteronomy 13, verse 11, a man with a bed that was 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. Deuteronomy 21 said that women, this, in this instance, women had to shave their head before getting married. Joshua chapter 10, the day the sun stood still. And you say, well, that just could not have happened. You know, it's interesting when you look at that scientifically, that there's actually a piece missing of, of the, when you calculate everything. I just believe it by faith. Joshua, excuse me, Judges chapter 4. A woman who killed a man by driving, a, he was a bad man, by driving a nail through his skull. This is interesting. Judges 20 verse 16. An army of 700 left-handed men. 2 Samuel chapter 14. A man who got a haircut once a year, and it weighed over six pounds. 2 Kings chapter 6, an axe head that floated. 1 Chronicles 20, verse 6, a man with 12 fingers, 12 fingers and 12 toes. 2 Chronicles 11, a father with 88 children. Isaiah 37. The story of an army who had 186,000 men killed in one night. Apart from the Bible. Now, there again, I believe the Bible just because it's a Bible. I believe it by faith. But apart from that, you could look it up. Don't, don't Google it now. But you could look up the Taylor Prisms, and you'll find extra biblical material of Sennacherib, who said, I had the children of Israel surrounded like a bird in a cage. Isn't that visual? And he's going to kill him. And then his testimony is, ah, I decided to go home. He decided to go home when he had the enemy surrounded like a bird in a cage? What do you mean he decided to go home? Well, he decided to, he doesn't tell you this. He decided to go home because 186,000 of his troops were killed. And he decided to go home. See, so the Bible tells us the real reason he decided to go home. The Taylor Prism's extra biblical material. It's okay to use some extra biblical material, dear people, if I could try to illustrate that, as long as we have the Bible up here. This is our primary source of, of, this is our primary source of belief. This is our standard for life and practice. And then if I come along and say, but the Taylor prisms say, put that down here. It's okay to look at extra biblical stuff. We never ever put the extra biblical stuff up here. And it's more important than the Word of God. So we put the word of God up here. That's the important. But then the Taylor Prism said this as an example. Jonah. You really believe the story of Jonah? I do. Because God said so. I called it a whale and someone said it wasn't a whale. It was a specially prepared fish. Jesus called it a whale in Matthew. It was a specially prepared fish.
But Jesus called it a whale in Matthew 12, verse 40. And he said, not only did he believe in Jonah, but that as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus said, I believe in Jonah. In fact, Jonah was a picture of me. He was a type of Christ. The Bible is a fascinating book. In Ezra, excuse me, Ezekiel 24, a preacher whose wife died, and God said, don't mourn. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3, a preacher who ate locusts. And in Matthew 13, we discover, I remember finding this, because Jesus was born of a virgin, and, and she married Joseph, and then they had children. And some people don't believe they had children. But in Matthew 13, it actually names Jesus and his four brothers. So there's five. So Mary had at least five children. And then it says sisters. So what does that mean? At least two. It could have been three, four, five. But, so we know that Mary had at least seven children. The Bible teaches us that, that Mary had at least seven children. Now, there's a false idea, and you can look at your notes here. Of all these wonderful things that happened, and then things that happened in the life of Jesus, a false idea could be that if I could have somehow been with Jesus, either back then or now, as an example, when I go to tell my friends about Jesus, if Jesus could go with me physically, i got to emphasize that. You caught the enunciation there. I don't say if Jesus could have gone with me, period. Jesus does go with you. But the false idea could be if Jesus could actually go with me physically. Wow, that'd be amazing. And yet Jesus taught his disciples that it's better for you that I go away. It's expedient. It's the best thing. It'll speed you along. It's better for you that I go away. How could it be better? We could falsely think, surely it would be better if Jesus, what if Jesus could be here today in physical form? Wouldn't that be better? The answer is no. Why is it expedient? Well, let's think that through. So Jesus comes here today in physical form. He is here in spiritual form. But let's say Jesus comes in physical form. Be so exciting! Till the end of the service. And he needs to decide who to go home with. And someone says, well, you go home with me. I have some really, really special burdens. And I need you to go home with me. And someone else says, you, don't come, you need to come home with me. I've just had some real sorrows in my life. And I need you to come home with me. And someone else says, I'm just having such a great day. I don't have any problems today, but it's sure good to have you here. You come home with me, Jesus. I, I know this sounds silly, but Jesus would have to decide which one of us to go home with. And so it's better for us that he went away because he comes in the form of the Holy Spirit who is God, and he dwells inside of us. If you say that Christ lives in us, that's correct. Peter called the Holy Spirit. So if you say the Holy Spirit lives in us, that's correct. Peter called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. And so what happens at the end of the day today? Maybe you're burdened. Maybe you have some real sorrows. Maybe you're just flying high. Who does he go home with? He goes home with all of us. He goes home with each of us. It is expedient. It is the better thing that he go away. So this idea that if I could have been with Jesus physically... Then, then that would be better, and I could somehow be a better Christian today. Get that idea out of your head. Not because I say so, but we're going to see in Scripture today that we need to dig in the Word of God, trust the Word of God. We're going to go to a couple passages this morning that will help us to be encouraged to dig into the Word of God. We need to, we need to continue. 
I'm not up here saying you don't and you need to. But we need to read the Word of God. We need to believe the Word of God. We need to depend on the Word of God. We need to love the Word of God. We need to meditate upon the Word of God. We need to use it. Dear people, we need to savor it. I was riding with my pastor hunting season a number of years ago. And I made some, uh, I made some jerky. And I, I took an eye of round about this big and about this long. And I sliced it about a half an inch. And I made jerky out of that. And he had a bunch, and I had a bunch, and I put it in my pocket, and I tear off a chunk of that, and I eat that jerky. I'm watching my pastor as he's driving, and he takes off a little tiny, tiny bit, puts it away, and just savors that. What do we need to do with the Word of God? It's just to savor it. That's a dumb expression, to eat the Word of God. Well, the, the Bible actually talks us about sweeter than a honeycomb. And so part of my goal today is that we would have a new appreciation for the Word of God. I want you to see, first of all, our basis for confidence. What is the basis that we could be confident that the Word of God is the Word of God? That the Word of God is believable? That the Word of God will help me live my life in a way that's pleasing to Him primarily, but also satisfying to us? What's our basis for confidence? Well, first of all, holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. So I'll pause right there. There must have been an accusation. Peter, you and those other disciples, you just made up stuff. And he says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses, he said, I was there. For he, that is Jesus Christ, received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from excellent glory, this is my beloved son. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. Peter says, I was there. And he heard the sound. He heard, Peter heard the voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. But then look what he says in verse 19. To, to dispel that false idea that being with Jesus physically would be better. Remember, Peter was. He says, verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Dear people, he's talking about our Bible. He's saying it's better, than we it's better that we have a Bible than if we'd have been with Jesus. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereon you do well if you take heed. He's not talking about carrying a Bible around like a lucky rabbit's foot. You may or may not have heard stories about men in World War II or other, war other wars where they carried a Gideon's Bible and one guy ended up and he, looked, he felt like he got shot, but he wasn't hurt bad. And later on, he found out that the bullet was stopped by his Gideon's Bible. Well, that's a wonderful story. There's nothing wrong with that story. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about carrying the Bible around like a lucky charm. He's saying, if you take heed, that is, you follow the instructions as a light that shineth in a dark place. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? It means that the authors of the human authors of Scripture didn't just make up stuff. It's interesting. Those, those who would say there are contradictions in the Bible. I haven't found any contradictions in the Bible. It's inspired of God. There may be some things that might seem like it. As an example, I mentioned this briefly last week. In Mark, 
chapter 3, it mentions the 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 6, it mentions the 12 disciples, and they're different. And that's listed among those who would say they're contradictions. They're not different. One would be the formal name, a Jewish name. The other may be a Roman name. It, it just, and we, we do the same thing with us. We may say, there's William, or we may say, there's Bill. And so it's, it's not a contradiction. And you can ex not explain away, but you can look biblically and find out. So he says, for prophecy came not in old times by the will of men. Well, how did the Bible come then? Holy men of God spake, or wrote, is the idea, as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And the wording here is, it's the same as a wind in a sail of a ship, a, a sailboat that just as the wind moves it along, that's how these individuals wrote scripture. Sometimes they wrote about stuff they didn't know. David wrote about the crucifixion in, in Psalm 22. And that was like more, well over a thousand years before crucifixion was ever used. And he described the crucifixion. And David must have read, read, and written that and looked at that and said, hmm, not exactly sure what that means. And I'm not poking fun. I'm just saying that they, they didn't always know what they wrote. So number one, holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit. Number two, Peter's eyewitness report. Peter says, I was there. In Matthew 17, he says, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter. This is, this is Matthew writing, but he says, Peter, James and John, his brother, and bringeth them to a high mountain apart, apart from everybody else, and was transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, we read on. Oftentimes, if you have a question in Scripture, you can, well, I don't know what that means. Read on a little bit. He was transfigured before them. I don't know what that means. Oh, his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses. And many believe that Moses was representing the, the, uh, the law. And then Elias, or Elijah, who was representing the, uh, the prophets. Then answered Peter and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice came from the cloud which said, Peter heard all this. Get a hold of this, dear people. A voice that said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Luke chapter 9 gives the same account and gives us a little additional information, not contrary information, not conflicting information. But Luke chapter 9, it says, Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and told of Jesus going to Jerusalem. And then it said, a cloud overshadowed them. So they didn't just hear the voice from the cloud. You put the two accounts together. They didn't just hear the voice from the cloud, but it says the cloud overshadowed them. They were within the cloud. The cloud overshadowed them, and they entered the cloud, and they heard a voice from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Wow. So Peter was actually there. So, so what's our basis for confidence? Number one, holy men of God spoke as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. Number two, Peter's eyewitness report. He said, I was there. Number three, Peter then said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Look at verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Dear people, more sure than what? More sure than having been with Jesus. See, there's that false idea that if, if I could just, you know, if I could just hang around with the Lord for five hours, I could be a better Christian. It's not like, it's not as though the Holy Spirit is like Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. It's nothing you asked for. You don't need to ask for it. It's something God does. He does it for you. And so Peter said we have a more sure. The word for more sure, the phrase for more sure, it means fit to tread on. In other words, you could trust it. It means a firm foundation. It means it's durable. All of this in regard to the Word of God. It means it's reliable. It's unshakable. It is certain. It does not waver. It is immovable. In the legal sense, it would mean valid. We have a more sure word. We have a valid word. We have an authentic word. All wrapped up in that little phrase. We have a more sure and he's talking about our Bibles. You have a more sure word of prophecy. It's better having a Bible than to have been with Jesus physically. And remember, Peter was there. He's not like he's criticizing somebody else, saying, ah, they said they were with Jesus, but we got a Bible. That's better. He said, I was there. I was with Jesus. We have a Bible. That's better. It is based on the historical truth of the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, dear people, your scriptures are more sure than if you'd have been with Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, and, oh yeah, and Jesus. I shared in Sunday school, I wish sometimes when we study something like this, we could just sit and everybody be quiet and, Let's just think about that. And we can't do that. But could I encourage you, dear people, go home and think about it. Go home and get off by yourself. Go home and think about the Word of God and realize Peter said it's more sure to have a Bible than it would have been to men with Jesus. So what is the Bible? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in fact, the passage that we read, thank you for your graciousness, Pastor. Pastor said, and he said, how about reading this and we made plans and then you walked off and we changed them. But there's no heresy involved. There's no heresy involved. All Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We're going to break this down and look at each part of this. Number one, the Bible is inspired. Inspir inspiration is that, listen to this, it's that forceful and conscious exhaling of God into Scripture, yes. But I believe, to step back, I believe it's the exhaling of God into the very writers of Scripture so that we would get the very Scriptures that we have. It's inspired of God. It comes from God. With all His energy, God blew His very words into the writers of Scripture. It makes it God-breathed. That's what inspired means, God-breathed. And that makes Scripture, dear people, accurate. It makes it authoritative, and it makes it so it can give us admonition as well. And then look at the next phrase. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is, and, is, and is profitable. I read that, and I think, well, that seems inadequate to say it's profitable, but that's what the Bible says, so we'll just stick with teaching the Bible. It is profitable, but then it tells us in what ways. Incidentally, when I'm preaching or when pastor's preaching, don't be disrespectful, but you can say, hmm, well, so what? You know, you just said the Bible is profitable. What's that got to do with me? And, and I shouldn't be offended at that. And, and we're going to look at that. Profitable for what? And it's right there in front of us. Profitable for doctrine. 
Listen, as Bible believers, as Baptists, we believe the doctrine is very, very important. And you don't need to witness very long before you'll come across somebody who will say, doctrine's not really important. Why can't we just forget our doctrine and get along? I had a, I had a preacher come to me one time, and, and we were friends on a personal basis. We didn't do things together as churches, but on a personal basis, we were friends. And he came to me, and I was building a church building, and I was doing stonework. I remember the day. And he'd walk around this big circle, which was about a half a mile around. And he'd walk around the circle, and he'd wave and say, how you doing, Bill? And I'd say, how's it going, Rocky? And he'd walk around. And this particular day, he, I said, how you doing? And he, he stopped. He looked at me, and instead of continuing around the circle, he walked right toward me. And he's got close to me. He said, Bill, this is crazy. You're building a church here. I was doing the stonework. And he said, I'm going to build a church over here. He says, why don't we just forget our doctrine and join forces and tell people that Jesus loves them. And when he said that, I did this. He said, let's just forget our doctrine and tell people that Jesus loves them. And I said, hold it. And he kind of, what? I said, that's doctrine. He said, what? I said, if you're going to tell people that Jesus loves them, that's doctrine. What is doctrine, dear people? We could use the fancy words, eschatology, pneumatology. We could use all, but doctrine is what you believe. If you believe that Jesus died for you, that's doctrine. If you believe that Jesus rose again, that's doctrine. If you believe that you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior to be saved, that's doctrine. So we can't forget our doctrine, can we? Well, what part of it can we forget? None. We need to teach, we need to preach, we need to believe the whole counsel of the Word of God. Doctrine, what is doctrine? Doctrine is what you believe. Listen, let me say it this way. Doctrine will help you think properly. There's all kinds of things out there that's pulling my mind, wanting to pull my mind in the wrong direction. You think, I hope the young people are listening. I hope they're listening too. I hope us old people are listening. Because there's all kinds of things pulling me in the wrong direction. And doctrine will pull me right back where I need to be. Doctrine, well, let's, let's read on. So doctrine is what you believe. And then it says it's good for reproof. Well, reproof is an interesting word. Reproof, ooh, this is exactly the opposite in meaning of today's tolerance. You know, tolerant, just you know, let people believe, whatever, whatever, whatever. I was in court uh, as a jury, uh, a potential juror, and the guy, I didn't sign in as reverend or anything, and we had, there were 40 of us there, and the lawyer looks at this person, looks at his notes, looks at that person, looks at his notes, looks at that person, looks at his notes, looks at that person, and he looks at me, and he looks, and he goes up, and he goes back, and he says, Reverend. And I didn't sign in as Reverend. He said, Reverend Jenkin. He said, are you a biblicist? That's an interesting question. It's the right question. I started to answer. The judge says to him, called him by name, and says, you can't ask him that. Well, Your Honor, this involves homosexuality and crimes of that nature, and I need to know where Reverend Jenkins, he says, you can't ask him that. So he changed his question, and he said, first, are you a biblicist? He said, are you a fundamentalist? And the judge said, you can't ask him that. And then a biblicist, a fundamentalist, and he says, are you a literalist? And this time the judge said, sidebar. And the man came up and got up here, and the judge covered a microphone, and the judge chewed him out. And then the judge said to him, so we could hear, he said, are you intolerant of people that you think are intolerant? 
I said, wow, the judge's name was McDonald. I found out later that he's a good, fair judge and he might be a believer. I didn't get a personal opportunity. I thought, wow, somebody finally gets it. Because you're supposed to be tolerant of everyone. You are, no matter what they believe. But then you say, I believe the Bible. And they go, oh, you can't believe the Bible. This word for reproof is the opposite of tolerance. This word for reproof actually means to drag into the light. And so what will the Bible do? It will help me think correctly. It'll drag me into the light. I think, let's say I'm, I'm living my life, and I think I'm going, let's call this straight and narrow, okay? I think I'm going in the straight and narrow. The Bible will tell me that I'm not going this way. It's good for reproof. It'll drag my sin into the light, drag my mind into the light, and I find out I'm not going this way. I'm going this way. Or maybe I'm going this way. Or maybe I'm supposed to be going that way, and I'm going this way. The Bible's good for reproof. It'll say, this is what you're doing wrong. Now, aren't you glad, and our time is up, aren't you glad this is, doesn't end there? The Bible, oh, the time is up, but I'm going to keep going. The Bible tells you where you've gone wrong. Amen. Let's go home now. And I want to say, wait, wait, is there any more? Is there more to this truth? Yes, read on. It's good for doctrine to help me think right. It's good for reproof to tell me when I'm not thinking right. But that's not the end of the story. It's good for correction. It'll bring me back to the right way. And not only is it good for correction to get me going in the right direction again, that means repentance on my part, but then it is good for instruction in righteousness. Are you following along phrase by phrase? It's good for instruction in righteousness to keep me going in the right direction. Wow! The Bible does all that? No wonder, Peter says, it's better for you to have a Bible than to have been with Jesus physically. And I keep emphasizing that because we are with Jesus and he's with us. And then the next verse, look at verse 17, that the man of God, that means the person of God, boys and girls, that means the child of God. It means male or female. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished Wow! Thoroughly furnished. That's something the Bible says about me. The Bible says that if we follow Jesus Christ, if we know Jesus as our Savior, and we follow Him, and we pay attention, take heed to the Bible, that we are thoroughly furnished. That's amazing. I was thinking, last night I went out fishing. Worst night ever. I had a ball. I caught one little one. I never had such trouble with my... my it was late. I didn't get out till almost 9 o'clock. And I got tangled up and this and this. And I, I, had, a, I had a good time. But I'm, I'm thinking as I'm, as I'm having an opportunity to fish, just the glory of God's creation. And I just appreciate the whole thing very, very much. And I thought, my fly fishing vest. I remember when I had kids at home, I might have a few flies. Now, I'm not a wealthy man, but I can go to Bob Ward and buy a fly for a buck a piece. And, and, and actually, if you buy 12, they'll give you a 13th. And I thought of that because I, I take that fly book out, I take the fly out of it, I put it back, I zip it. I don't throw it on the bank. And I thought, I have a couple hundred dollars in flies in there. Uh, when it comes to fishing, I'm thoroughly furnished. Well, there are a few other things that I'd like to get, but... <laughs> but, you, but, and we're not talking, excuse the illustration, we're not talking about fly fishing. We're talking about this life. Day by day living. What does God, it's not me looking at my fly vest saying I'm thoroughly furnished. It's God looking at me saying, if you will obey, 
and you keep your nose in the Word of God, you're thoroughly furnished. Unto what? Unto what? Unto all good works. We're supposed to be doing good works. Having been raised in Montana, mostly surrounded in Anaconda by Catholics, and I'm not picking on anybody, but their religion is good works. And then secondarily, and they may be number one now, would be the Mormons. Good works. I was preaching at a church one time. I may have told you this. I was preaching at a church one time, and pastor was interactive, and I mentioned something about good works, and a dear lady says, we're Baptists. We don't believe in good works. Well, wait a minute. I try to make something good. I, you know, I have to, whatever is said. And I said, well, we don't believe in good works in order to get saved. But we absolutely believe in good works because we are already saved. Don't get that backwards. If you think you do good works to get to heaven, that won't work. But because you are a believer, do good works, thoroughly furnished, not because Bill says so, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You're saved by grace. Verse 10, go do good works. Titus, at least five times. I need to read it more carefully and count them. At least five times Titus tells his readers, go do good works. And Titus makes it very, very clear. You're not saved by good works. But after you get saved, you go do good works. So we should do the things that others do to try to get saved, but we don't do it with the same motivation. We do it because we are already saved. By way of a conclusion, the scripture is more sure. More sure than what? I'll be brief. More sure than our experiences. The reason I'm going to name these things, because if we're not careful, our experiences have more authority in our life than the Word of God. And I like experiences. But they rate really, really, really low compared to the Word of God. We have more sure than if we'd have been with Jesus, more sure than experiences, more sure than circumstances, more sure than emotions, more sure than a fleece. Where did we ever get the idea that a fleece is something that we're supposed to do? If you look at that, study that scripture, Gideon had four questions to God, and God answered all four questions. And then Gideon said, I'm going to do a fleece. And God answered, so I guess we think we should do that. And then Gideon said, let's do it the other way around. God, here's the way I see that, God accommodated Gideon's unbelief. I told you not to get me started on it. Throwing a fleece out there is not something we should do. How much better if Gideon would have just believed the word of God? How much better for us if we just believe the word of God? So don't put a fleece out. It's more sure than, I'll read them again quickly, experiences, circumstances, emotions, a fleece, human reasoning, church tradition. We don't have to worry too much about that. It's more sure than miracles, the Word of God, especially if it would contradict. Visions, more sure than if you'd have been with Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on a Mount of Transfiguration. Application, dear people, for you and for me, I hope you've already picked up on it. Hopefully I could say amen right now, but I'll take just another minute. Application, dig into God's Word. Read God's Word. Believe God's Word. Depend on God's Word. Love God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Use God's Word. Savor God's Word. Live God's Word. Flesh it out. Flesh out God's Word in our life. Luke 24, verse 32. The disciples on the road to Emmaus 
I can picture this. I love it so much. They didn't recognize Jesus. And then they, then Jesus revealed himself to them. And they said one to another, and this has been my goal now for a few, a few decades. They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us? And my prayer to God is, dear God, let my heart burn within me. As you walk with us, as he talked with us along the way. Let my heart burn within me as you talk with me along the way. And as you open up the scriptures to me, because I can't understand this apart from God. And so may I encourage you to incorporate those things in your life as well. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your word. Help us to love it and appreciate it. Help us, dear Lord, to help us to use it. Folks, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, could I just encourage you to take 30 seconds or so? Pastor, if you just come up here in 30 or 45 seconds. Boys and girls, you've been very, very good. Thank you. And we'll, we're almost finished, so keep being good. Uh, Pastor, give us 30 seconds or 45 seconds just to pray. Make any decisions that we need to make in our heart. Okay? Let's pray together. Just a silent time of prayer. And Pastor will come and close us. The book, it's not that other books are bad, but in our life there really should be one book. That's why we say there's one sole authority for faith and practice. The Bible doesn't trump God, but you cannot know God and worship him properly and obey him without his written word. And uh, my, we need a renewed emphasis this day and age on that, in an age that's clamoring for something new. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, on one hand, you'd keep us from a dead orthodoxy. We know it's possible to have right opinions and be just a shell. But at the same time, we can't know you. We can't worship you. We can't walk uprightly. We can't have sound doctrine. We can't preach correctly, teach correctly, or live correctly without right opinions which come from your word, which is what doctrine is. I pray you'd help us in this maelstrom around us to cling fast to your written word. Teach us, Lord, to walk by faith, which means to believe your character and your words above any other source, whether it's emotion or vision or uh, 
some experience or anything else, what we see with physical eyes has to be subject unto your eternal truth. Help us, Lord, to be blessed as we walk this pathway because we are obeying what you say. Thank you, Father, for giving us truth and not leaving us without that. Thank you for giving us another comforter of the same kind. You've not left us comfortless. Thank you that Jesus is indeed here with us and among us and will be until the end of this age and on into eternity. Lord, help us to walk with you this week in close fellowship, to deal with sin quickly, to have an eternal mindset. Thank you the day is coming where you're going to make all things new. Help us to have our eyes on that day. In Jesus' name, amen.